0: Welcome to another edition of the Vince in the Bay podcast. This episode is another in the series of interviews I conducted during the 2018 RSA Security Conference, which was held here in the Bay last month. My guest this time is social engineering guru Joe Gray. Joe is a senior security architect at IBM and he has his own blog and podcast called Advanced Persistent Security. Joe presented a talk at RSA this year with friend of the show, Rachel Toback, on social engineering and OSINT. And I have posted the full audio from that talk on my blog at vincentthebay.com. So go check that out. But before you do that, listen to this chat I had with Joe at RSA about social engineering OSINT, VISHING, Password Inspections, and more. Enjoy. It's Vince again here at RSA 2018, and now I'm joined by Joe Gray of Advanced Persistent Security. And Joe, you just finished a talk. What was your talk about
1: Uh, It was a co-presentation with Rachel Toback and myself uh, entitled uh, Infiltrating a Fortune 500 Without Hacking a Thing. We talked about our experiences in social engineering capture the flags, as well as actionable advice uh, for both the performance of and the deterrence of OSINT and social engineering. OSINT being open source intelligence about the target that um, allows what I call the buzzwords of the context for the contact.
0: The context for the contact. Okay.
1: Because you've got, to, you've got to give people a reason to talk to you. So the context for the contact, what I mean by that is you're giving someone a reason to talk to you. Uh, whether it be, hi, I'm with the airline that you were griping about on Twitter. I want to make things right. Or, hi, I'm an internal employee. I need this stuff for an external audit. Or, hi, I'm the password inspector. I just need to make sure you're up to code.
0: And I saw you talk yesterday at PeerList, and you had your password inspector badge <laughs> Which is which I thought was hilarious, and apparently you actually implemented it in the in in, in the in the wild. Tell me about that. What, what's that all about?
1: Um, well, it wasn't necessarily the wild. I've never used it in a work type environment. In um, mentioning it at RSA, that was purely um, one of those theoretical joking moments. Um, but whenever I presented at Sky Dog Con last year, the hotel that hosted it. Apparently had a very popular restaurant in the bottom. People that weren't staying in the hotel came to eat there. Uh, I gave the last talk right before lunch, and I jokingly said, I will be doing password inspections in the lobby after this talk. Just uh, line up, and I'll be there. And I walk out, and the lobby's full. It's all these people in there eating. So, of course, I had to snap a picture and say what a great turnout it was for the password inspections.
0: Uh, so you didn't actually inspect any passwords, though?
1: Uh, not at that event. I have with others, because I also have a hat that says county password inspector. So, um... For example, besides Knoxville, they uh-huh. have it at yeah. three locations. It's in Market Square. Um, two of the locations are bars, side by side. The third one is across the square, um, basically a stone's throw away. And um, during lunch, uh, some of my former coworkers and I, we went out of Market Square to eat lunch. And uh, I had the badge on, I had the hat on, yeah. I had I had everything on, and I was just randomly asking people in the street, uh, "What was your mom's name before she was married?" Oh, are you from here? Hmm. Oh, which high school did you go to? All these questions that I could use to reset passwords. I'm wearing a hat that says "Password Inspector," and people are just bleh but but feeding it up. Yeah. So, um, I've done things like that in a while, and like sometimes I'll just for fun see how many mother's maiden names I can get. Uh huh. I mean, I never record it, but it's always fun.
0: Yeah, I think I saw a Jimmy Kimmel segment where they.
1: They just straight, say, they just straight, straight up said,
0: what's your password? And they got, they got some of them.
1: Yep. Um, for that angle, I always like to say, can you give me an example of a previous or current password that you use? And it usually falls out.
0: So you, you, you word that in a particular way. So it sound, so. I guess so it sounds less intrusive. Is that exactly. the idea? Instead of saying your mother's maiden name, what was her prior name before being married? I forgot how you phrased yeah.
1: it. What was your mom's name before she was married? Um, also in the South. Like, I live in Tennessee. You can't really tell from this part of the accent. But I, I have a thing that I call the nosy church lady. And uh-huh. that is, who's your mama's people? Because you hear that. That's something yeah. that you... Yeah typically here in the south, and it's usually nosy church ladies asking that question. So I'll I'll ask that question. And because I'm not saying what your mother's maiden name, people are conditioned to be like, No, you're not gonna get my mother's maiden name. They are not conditioned for answering the question when you ask politely, in a different way. And that's what a lot of social engineering is. It's just like, so if you ever watch like, Law and Order and shows like that, they'll ask the same question multiple times. And they're asking it multiple ways to try to corroborate to see if the answer stays consistent. Same thing with social engineering. Like um, during the talk today, Rachel was talking about, oh, um, do you still have that Dell Latitude? Oh, it's running Windows 7. I'm a big fan of, can you click the Windows icon in the bottom left-hand corner? Okay, is it in a circle or a box? What color is the box? Is it blue or is it black? The circle is Windows 7. A blue box is Windows 8. A black box is Windows 10. Um, And then I'll be like, okay, now that you've clicked it, type... uh, we, we need to see if the BitLocker is in it. So um, can, can you type in uh, B-I-T-L-O? And then if you're not talking to a technical person, they're going to be like, yeah, it's there. Okay, cool. If you're talking to a technical person, and I saw this in my own SCCTF, um, the guy was like, well, it's Windows. Of course BitLocker is installed. We don't even use that. We use Semantic. I'm like, oh, that's right. I'm sorry. I didn't come up with these questions. I'm just asking them. Yeah. Passing the buck to somebody else.
0: All right. So, Joe. What's your background? How did you get into security and social engineering?
1: So I navigated submarines for seven years in the Navy. As I was getting out, the civilian world does not have submarines to navigate. I had a security clearance, and there was a government contractor that was hiring. They said, go and get these certifications, and we'll hire you. And I was like, sounds great. So I did it. And I started putting security documentation together for an intelligence agency. Um, Nobody that's in the headlines Uh, it's a very obscure one uh but it was just documentation so that people could do a risk assessment Um, i did that for about a year and a half and then i transitioned uh, into um, a gs position as a government employee i realized about eight months in i didn't really care for it Uh, it was far too political for me and then i went back to being a contractor um, as a senior unix administrator Uh, my government position was more of an auditor style position so I've, i've kind of been the assembler the auditor the administrator Um, Then after doing that, I went and oversaw security on a government contract, but I was the only security person. So I had to handle both the technical side of it and the administrative side. So when I got there, there there was no SIM, no vulnerability management. Um, Everybody had local admin. We had no IDS. Um, They were using a a very poor antivirus, and some machines had four antiviruses installed. So I cleaned that up, did that, got the documentation together. Um, Then I did a stint as a consultant. Uh, primarily dealing with uh, gap analysis, the occasional incident response. Um, and then I would get loaned to the pen test team for social engineering from time to time, um, to include phishing and vishing, uh, as well as pretexting. And then uh, since then, I've transitioned uh, about three months ago, uh, into a, a security engineer, or I'm sorry, security architect position. Um, how I got into social engineering, actually, I was a uh, Right in the wave of the GI Bill, and I finished my bachelor's and master's and had enough time left over to work on a doctorate. And I was at the uh, colloquium where we define our problem statement. And I was looking for things that are consistently problems in information security. Well, social engineering came up. So I started doing formal academic research on the topic. I never finished the doctorate, but I've still got the research binder. It's a three-inch binder that's you, you can't close it all the way because it's full of academic work on the topic from both tech journals and psychology journals. And I just started researching that stuff, um, started practicing a few things, researching some fish, um, got on the anti-fishing work group mailing list. Um, I've read Christopher Hadnagy's books, uh, Michael Basil's books. There's a lot of books that I've used for uh, – to learn it, there's a few that aren't within the tech space that you won't find in the same, on the same bookshelf as, say, um, Violet Blues, The Smart Girl's Guide to Privacy. You know, you might have to actually go to the psychology section to find it. Like Dr. Cial- Cialdini's Influence book, where we get the six principles of persuasion. J.J. Uh, Luna's Hiding from the, uh, or How to Be Invisible. Um, trust me, I'm lying, that's another one. These are all things that deal with human psychology, um, and to some degree fraud, especially when you're talking fraud, that brings up Catch Me If You Can and Frank Abingale's books. But I go outside of tech to look at it, so I'm not looking at it purely from the perspective of a technical social engineer. I supplement that with things, um, especially for like the phishing side, for measuring things. And I've never really had to deploy payloads as part of a fish, but it's something that I made myself aware of and conscious of so that should it happen? Should should I ever be requested to do so by a client? I could easily do so.
0: Um, okay. On the topic of fishing, now, um, in in uh, your presentation yesterday, and I think it was part of your slides again today, you listed fishing, vishing, and then a. Bunch of other stuff. Oh, totally. Like, what? What are the? What are the? What, what were the other things? There's some sure. of there I've, I've never even heard. I don't even. I don't even never even heard. Sure.
1: Of. We'll talk about the ishings, and we'll start with fishing. If you have an email account, you know what fishing is. Uh, if not, you can save fifteen percent or more in fifteen minutes or less by switching to Geico. Uh, with that being said, you can do very focused fishing, and that's spear fishing. You can go after c level executives or um, other senior employees, and it's called whaling, going for the big fish. And then we have vishing, which is voice phishing. Uh, usually, some people refer to it as pretexting as well, but pretexting is independent, and I'll get into that in a moment. And then smishing is growing, which is SMS, short message service, text-based phishing.
0: Smishing, yeah, that was a new one for me too.
1: It's uh, it's growing. And then uh, beyond that, we've got baiting, which you know you'll put something clever on a on the outside of a thumb drive, drop it off, put some malicious QR codes out, wait for people to plug it in and see what happens. Um, then tailgating, you know, it's just riding the wave in and dumpster diving is pretty self-explanatory as well. I have, uh,
0: one one of the things that wasn't on your list that I've heard of recently is farming. Have you heard of farming?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's relevant, but I don't consider that to be more of the social side because it's more... What is it exactly? It's, it's more of a... An instance where you're going to do, you're going to set up a website that's just going to look there and you're going to be trying to snag credentials or something along those lines. And you're just going to let it sit. Um, it's a, it's, when we look at it, the level of interaction, it's probably the lowest level of interaction. So, well, actually probably second lowest behind baiting. Okay. You create your payload, you put it on the media, you drop it. I mean, or, you know, you, you can make a mixtape. Some people like mixtapes. So, and I think that one's kind of ridden off into the sunset because people have grown suspicious of things. They, they prefer to be directed to do something as opposed to stumbling upon it. Because mm-hmm. farming, that brings in things like the watering hole attack where you'll have some vulnerable piece of code running on a web server and people come through, they do it, and then it just compounds. So
0: so advanced persistent security. What what, what do you what do you do with that?
1: It's my blog and podcast. So... Uh, Originally I was starting it as a business, but I realized I'm a terrible business person and I started working in a company that said I could not have a second business. So it became a blog and a podcast exclusively. Um, the podcast, I uh, just released episode 43 today. Uh, it is with uh, Alan Liska and uh, Tim Gallo about ransomware. It's one of the last episodes that was recorded in 2017 that I'm bringing back. Uh, we had about a 14 month hiatus. Uh, I'm bringing it back alive and well. Uh, right now I have two episodes that I have to edit and three episodes I'm recording next week. So, uh, pretty intense, uh, in terms of the schedule, but anyone who's looked at my Twitter knows I like intense schedules. Um, but with that being said, you know, with blogging, the original thought was if we were going to run as a business, I needed to do something as a value add to get people to want to come to the website. Nobody ever came, but then I started blogging, got involved, uh, involved with Twitter, got and started getting traction. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a podcast. So I started the podcast solo, very monotone, very boring, very salesy. I've backed away on that side now. I'm bringing guests on. We talk about whatever they are knowledgeable on or want to talk about, any event they want to plug. I I like to have conference organizers on, especially the B-Sides organizers, to plug the event. Um, And then additionally, uh, with it, I'm in a new model, I'm going to actually bring in uh, revolving co-hosts as well. So not quite a Security Weekly model, but maybe a cast as big eventually
0: yeah that sounds cool hey if you ever need it need some uh, to add someone to add to the talent pool oh there we there we have it i'm i'm i'm, I'm all about cross pollinating
1: and absolutely sharing audiences and all that absolutely stuff. Uh, that's one of those things like um in terms of other podcasts i've been on you know i've been on pbc sec security weekly break sec Um, I was just on RallySec. I've been on uh, Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. I was on the IBM Security podcast. So, you know, I I make my ways around. And the thing is, my success is your success and vice versa. It's not not a competition. It's not a game.
0: You know, I I, I don't mind it being a competition, even if it is, because I've heard podcasts where, you know, somebody will be on – like Rachel was on my podcast – and I also heard her on the social engineering podcast. And they talked about some stuff that overlapped mm-hmm. with what we talked about, but then they talked about some stuff that we'd never touched on. Oh totally. And 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 they brought up little little nuggets of, of wisdom and stuff that that I that was new to me. And that's what I like. No one podcast is the same. You know, even right. if you have the same guest and even if they have their canned answers and their, their usual shtick and stuff. You're still going to get something unique out of out of each interview. Oh, absolutely! And I love doing that. I love like like I'm going to add uh, advanced persistent security to, to my list for sure. Awesome. Um, so the SecTF, you, you and Rachel both participated. Her at DEFCON last year, and you at DerbyCon, and you won the the first DerbyCon SecTF. How was that?
1: Uh, It was exciting. It was definitely one of those experiences that I won't forget. In fact, I mean, that's what the talk today was about. It was, hey, here's two people who did remarkably well in SCCTFs and we're talking SCCTFs and how it applies to the business outside of the competition. Uh, It really opened my eyes because I thought I knew how to do OSINT and I mean, I was solid with some things. But until I was faced with, here are these 35 flags, here's your target company, seek and destroy. Here's your rules of engagement. You cannot interact with the target. You cannot try to exploit the target. You can't run Nmap. And it's very ethical in nature. So the way the, the format, you just go in, you're assigned the company, you, you have the flags, you agree to the ethics, and then basically you you have three weeks to collect all the information. You put together a report, it's scored. You get additional points for, you can get up to 50 additional points for having five realistic attack vectors. For example, my target having Oracle ERP version 12.2.5, which can be found on ExploitDB. So that right there was one. And then just other things to go alongside it. Um, Then you put it together, everything's good, you're scored, you know what what place you're in going into the competition. For DerbyCon, we had about three weeks' time. I think it's going to be a little bit longer for DEF CON. But uh, anyway, and then you have your time in the box. With that, they allot 30 minutes. 20 minutes of you in the box making phone calls. You're spoofing it. Chris is doing all the dialing. You're just sitting there, mic'd up, doing it. And then 10 minutes for Q&A. At the conclusion of that, depending on how many flags people get, it's all scored, and then a winner is announced. Uh, for DerbyCon, I got a black badge. Uh, for DEF CON, my understanding is winners get black badges as well. But so, you're
0: retired once you win.
1: Oh, I, I, don't, I don't want to compete again after I win. Yeah, yeah. The, the only way I would compete again, like... If, if I ever... You wouldn't it. want to
0: defend your title?
1: No. Really? Somebody else so so
0: DerbyCon, you're done. You're not going to go back and, and,
1: and I won't compete at DerbyCon. I all would right. do it as an exhibition, but I would not do it competitively. Right. Yeah. Uh, the only exception, and we should probably try to talk Chris into doing this for RSA, Tournament of Champions. I would compete against other winners.
0: That would be pretty cool. That because, would... because I saw all these possibilities when I was at um, DEFCON's SE CTF last year, mm-hmm. and because I participated, and I was I was you know on stage performing in That's front of in what it 400 is. people, and I felt like a rock star, and it was such a rush.
1: And you can't throw scripts at it. Yeah, well, not not well, we, you can't throw Python scripts at it. You can you can you can script your attack, but your your knowledge of Java, C, Python, PowerShell is irrelevant yeah. during this script, um, and it really brings in the improv state because when you talk phishing versus fishing fishing you can sit and think about your lies all day you can wait to respond it's no big deal you don't have to respond immediately when you're on that live call with someone oh you do you have to be able to respond you have to have the quick wits so I had someone ask me hey what should I take in college to be a good social engineer I was like you need to, you need to understand the technical thing of course but for electives I would eat it up with psychology, technical writing theater and improv if you want to be like a hardcore social engineer that's what I would do but, you know, it's, it's, it's way different, and I agree about the rush. Uh, one thing I did notice was the people who have never really been in front of, li- like, large audiences, they kind of struggled a little bit when they first got into the booth. Some of them, it took until, like, minute 17 to really get everything washed out. But, you know... With the amount of public speaking I did, I was just basically sitting there, like making faces at the audience because I'm just waiting for someone to answer, and um, that that definitely adds to the fear factor as well. Because like when you're doing fishing, as part of your job, and you're in an office, you shut the door, nobody's going to be there to make fun of you. Yeah. So when you're doing it in front of, I uh, hear at Def Con it's about 400 people at Derby Con, I think it was about two to 300. I'm unsure, but you know it. it There's a rush. And to make it even better, um, through OSINT, I knew that the deputy CISO of that company was going to be at DerbyCon. And he just happened to be in the room when I made the call. I didn't get, no one was able to get a picture for me, but they said he turned green. And because I knew he was in the room, when we called their COO, I said into the microphone while the phone was ringing, I was like, oh, this is the COO, by the way. Wow. She didn't answer,
0: but nevertheless. What was the. What was the, uh, the the companies? What was the
1: theme? The theme was Fortune 500 companies in and around Louisville. Oh, so local. That, so they were not in the same vertical. So, like, at DEF CON, they'll do security companies, video game companies, um, washing detergent companies, just making something up yeah. there. I mean, if, if Chris wants to do that, I mean, he could go ahead and give us a heads up and I'll, I'll go ahead yeah. and get running.
0: So, uh, oh, for somebody who's interested in social engineering and maybe wants to compete in one of these CTFs or maybe they just want to apply it to the real world just to just sort of work on their skills. Like what are some like real life scenarios that you can use? Just go out in the real world and chat somebody up and, and say, you know, have your own little like, Set your own flags. Set your own flags right on the spot. I just want to like, like work on my skills. Here's a challenge. Maybe I'll go into a supermarket and try to get the cash registers date of birth or something. like, what are some, what are some things like that?
1: Well, I mean, it's funny you should say that because I do recommend that very thing. Um, Go out and talk to people, talk to people you wouldn't normally talk to. If, if you're a shy person and you're like afraid to talk to women, talk to women. If, you're afraid to talk to old people or young people. Talk to all a variety of people. Stay, be as diverse as possible. Get used to talking to them. Set a limit. Say you want to talk for 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Set a time limit. And then give yourself 3 to 5 flags. Through the conversation, just casually ask. See if you can get it. And then just make a note of it. And then you'll learn how to tiptoe around it. And then if you want to start advancing, start reading body language. Like when people start looking away or if they look off to the side when they're saying something or if their face, um, if the muscles in their face contract for no reason, these are things to look at. And that that ties into things like uh, the art of body language, um, neuro-linguistic programming, that type of stuff, Uh, Dr. Eggman's um, um, facial expressions, uh, that kind of thing, but you know, realistically, you have to be able to carry on a conversation. That's what it boils down to. If you want to get better at it, do some public speaking and go to Toastmasters. Um, on the OSINT side, I'll tell you another thing that works really well. Solicit your friends, not necessarily your very close friends. Like if you've known somebody since kindergarten, no. Somebody that you know, but you don't know. Be like, hey, I want to do, I'm, I'm learning to do this. I want to find out what I can find out about you on the internet. Will you, will you give me the consent to do so? As soon as they give you the consent, Go off to the races. Set a time limit for yourself, be it a day, a week, a month, or even a year. There is another earworm. I've been dropping those all day today. Um, but anyway, set the timeline, and once it's over, present your findings to the person. See if you can find usernames. See if you can find resumes. I like going for Amazon gift uh, uh, wish lists now to see the weird things people buy. Um, of course, names, date of birth, office numbers, family, you know, vacations, all that go for it and just present it to them. And if you really want to be a good steward, give them some opt out links to be able to get the stuff removed if they so choose.
0: Yeah. You know what I like doing? It's not necessarily for, I mean, I guess I could, I could, I could start applying little flags and stuff to it, but Uber rides to me, that's I do it every time that is like, I'm not, I'm not trying to social engineer anything, but it's, it's a great way for me to work on my conversation skills and building rapport and stuff like that. And, and sometimes, like, I will purposely not look at my phone. Say, Vince, you're gonna take this ride and you're gonna just talk to this person. If for anything else, just to sharpen my human interaction skills. Oh, totally. You know, because yeah. we're always on our phones, we're always obsessing over our devices and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and I hate being in an Uber and everybody's on their phone and the guy's just driving and I'm just sitting here like,
1: yeah. This is, and this, this is weird. I do the same thing. Like, obviously, I travel a lot. I take Lyft or Uber, and, I, and I'll, I'll strike up a conversation, or I'll try to. Very quickly within the ride, I will determine, number one, whether I even want to talk to the person. Yeah. Number two, if the person's even going to talk back. Yeah. And things like that. And, and honestly, like, when I was in Florida, there were a lot of drivers that English was not their first language. As hard as it was for me to understand them, I purposely talked to them so that I could get a better feel for the language, so I could understand that dynamic. And I'll set flags. I'll be like, so are you from around here? Where are you from? And then I'll make it a point to say something about where they're from. I'll start asking questions, and eventually, before I get out, I might try to get their mother's maiden name. I don't know. It varies. Um, If there's multiple people in the car, we'll all be running it at the same time. So, like, if I'm traveling in a pack, yeah, that's... It could be ugly for somebody. (laughs) But, But at the same time, I mean... Here's a thought. If you really want to sharpen your skills, start driving for one of those two companies. The possibilities would be endless.
0: Yeah, I have thought about that. Um, So, Joe, anything else that we haven't covered or something you might want to touch on? Uh,
1: There's so much stuff. Um, So uh, I'll hit the charity bandwagon really quick. So in InfoSec, there's three charities that we really need to get behind, and that's Hackers for Charity, very well represented, Uh, Chris Sanders has the Rural Tech Fund. Uh, They donate uh, technology supplies to uh, rural areas. Um, They actually uh, donated a uh, 3D printer to my high school. So it's pretty cool. And then Innocent Lives Foundation. That's Christopher Hadnagy's nonprofit, uh, the group of people that go off and hunt child predators for sport uh, to bring them to justice, which um, that's something I can certainly get behind. It's something I believe in. Um, Having nieces and a nephew myself, Uh, But with that being said as well, uh, something I'd like to bring people's attention to is uh, my mentorship project with PeerList called Through the Hacking Glass. It's basically – think of it as the piece between academia and certification. It's a means for people to learn, to learn new skills, to break into InfoSec, whatever, so that they can get better. Uh, We're working with vendors. We're not going to allow sales pitches or any of that, but we are trying to get the partnerships with them so that people can be assigned a mentor or mentee as appropriate – go through learning experiences, uh, performance-based exercises such as labs, then go through a range where they apply everything, and then they get a report card at the end that they can actually provide to a potential employer and say, I did the range. This is my score. Here are some references. It will have comments from the team and comments from the mentor. So that's uh, definitely something I believe in. I believe in paying mentorship forward. I had some people that invested in me early on, and I tried to return the favor. Um, and then beyond that, I think that's uh, really about it. Cool. And
0: so if we want to uh, follow up and uh, learn more about you and stalk you on the internet and all that stuff, where where can we go to find your your blog, your podcast, and uh, your Twitter account?
1: My Twitter handle is C underscore 3P Joe. The podcast Twitter is advpersistsec. The website is net. I'm sorry for the long domain. I promise I'm going to get something to redirect it that's way shorter later. Um The podcast can be found on all fine podcasting platforms, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, I believe. Um, And it's called Advanced Persistent Security. And uh, through the Hacking Glass on Twitter is at Hacking Glass. And then if you want to connect on LinkedIn, you can look for me by name. Um, I'm pretty open with that. Uh, The only people I tend to turn away are uh, salespeople who just show signs of being too aggressive and not taking no for an answer. Right on. I would rather just say no than have to block them and just get mad. Gotcha,
0: right on, Joe Gray, Advanced Persistent Security. I appreciate you uh, meeting with me, and uh, good luck with the rest of your of your uh, of your of your speaking
1: tour. Actually, speaking of that, if any of your listeners want a free ticket to Hacker Halted, I've got a coupon code for them. Hacker Halted, September thirteenth, fourteenth, Atlanta, Georgia. It's an EC Council event. We have, uh, we're have we expecting about uh, 45 speakers. Uh, the theme this year is the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yes, towels will be the swag. Um, but the coupon code to get in for free is HH, as in Hacker Halted, 18, as in 2018, JG, as in Joe Gray, CON, as in Conference. Um, if you're interested in getting 25% off the training, uh, shoot me a message on Twitter, and I'll give you that code as well. Um, but yeah, free admission tickets are normally 200 bucks, uh, shared high and low. Anyone that wants to come, they can.
0: Awesome. Right on Joe. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's a yeah. pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vince in the Bay podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes, Google play and Stitcher. Check out my bloggity blog at com, and hit me up on Twitter at Vince in the Bay. Until next time. Ciao.